0: I encourage you to start making your way to 1 Timothy, just a few books to the right of where we were in Ephesians. As you turn, let me just say uh, (laughs) something I think all, all of you know. It's wild how chaotic and crazy things can become when people don't follow the rules, crazy how quickly things can just get so wild, so chaotic when we ignore the rules. Rules and guidelines, they're meant to be helpful, and they're meant to be beneficial. And without those rules or guidelines, you know, mayhem normally is close behind. Sometimes the rules are known like, you know, the rules for monopoly or checkers. You know, that's about where I max out. Maybe chess. You guys know the rules. Been learning a game that's not new, but new to me. It's uh taco cat goat cheese pizza. Highly recommend. Great game. Uh, I'm not super good at it, but fun game. But those rules are there to keep the game fun and to keep it fair and actually play the game. If, if you don't follow the rules or play by the rules, things get a little haywire, and it's not great when everyone starts to do their own thing. It's not just games, but often in life, there are rules to help keep things better and more enjoyable and orderly. I think that even in junior high, you start to know by now that life It doesn't really come with a rule book for every situation, but as you get older, you start to understand how things work best and better when everyone's just doing what they should be doing. You understand how crazy things can get when people start to do just whatever they feel like doing. The other day, I was exiting a plane, getting off a plane, and... Some guy in the back just decided that uh, he should be the first one off the plane. That's just not how this works. And even if you haven't flown anywhere, it's no different than anything else. Um, It makes no sense for the person in the back of an elevator to try to be the first one off. It's the same same kind of principle here. And I thought it was hilarious because this this little silent pilgrim took every opportunity he could to just cut in front of people and everyone on that plane was losing their mind. And it was awesome. Uh, just 15 minutes of pure entertainment for pastor Jay. I loved it. Tried to get my picture with him and everything. It was, it was great. But he, here's the thing. He was acting like he didn't know that that was something you were supposed to do. He, he acted like he didn't know the rules And his behavior was messing up, not only himself, but everyone around him. Just like there are rules for games and there are guidelines for life, there are also instructions for the church. And these God-given rules, these God-given instructions are meant to do the same. They're meant to be helpful and beneficial. They're meant to give order. They're meant to minimize the chaos in the church. So God gives us some helpful thoughts, some helpful instructions and rules and even commands. And they're to ensure that for you, even as a young Christian, when we come together into this thing we call church, that you can enjoy the blessings that God has designed for you rather than just creating chaos by doing whatever you want. We've been out of 1 Timothy for quite a while, and as we come back to chapter 5 this morning, we could all benefit from a reminder of what this letter is all about. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3 verse 15, I write, and he's talking about this letter, he says, I write so that you will know how you or one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. It's about church. This whole letter is to help us understand how the church can function at its best. It's here to help us understand how we're meant to treat each other. And even where our spot in the church is meant to be, it's here to help you understand why we do certain things in church especially at our church, the way we do and to know that if we do them this way, that is, if we try to live our lives the way God's word tells us to, well, then when we do that, when we follow what we read here in 1 Timothy, we give ourselves the best opportunity and the best environment as a Christian for joy and peace and happiness and especially unity. But if we don't, if we ignore some of these principles and some of these guidelines, boy, it's just like someone who doesn't follow the rules of a game. It's just, it's messing everything up. It's just like somebody who's trying to exit that airplane first, even though he's in the back. You just create chaos, and you make things so much more difficult when you don't do things God's way, when you don't play by His rules. And just like I learned last week, I was reminded of, and it's the same in the church. Not only do we hurt ourselves, but we do a lot of damage to those around us as well. Paul's been trying to lay out some God-given rules, some guidelines for Timothy to help him bring order to this church here in Ephesus. And we've benefited from reading this letter as it helps us today to know some vital principles for, for helping the church function as God intends. How does this letter benefit you, you might ask, a, a junior hire Who cares? Well, you get the benefit of going to Grace Church. Of course, we're not perfect, but you could say our church has learned to put into practice what Paul was instructing Timothy to do here. Let me just highlight a few things. As we think about chapter 1 here at Grace, we insist that our pastors teach the very word of God rather than speculations, stories, or myths. That's what the pastors at Timothy's church were doing. Here we want the people of God to be focused on godliness To help minimize them making shipwreck of their faith. Paul talks about that at the end of chapter one. As we get into chapter two, Paul's words influence the way people serve. And we apply that here. We place men in the roles intended for men, and we try to encourage the women to serve in the roles that, you know, God designed for them. And chapter three governs our. Leadership here, our elders are qualified to lead. Our pastors are are run through this checklist that God says, this is who you're looking for. We don't make up our own. We use God's criteria for what makes a good pastor. We want those leaders to be the right examples and to raise up future leaders. And all that comes from chapter three. And, And chapter four has caused our church to always proclaim the gospel as the only means of salvation the the pastors that Timothy was having to work with and try to correct they were teaching so many other things as a means of salvation good works and staying away from certain foods and living your life in a really strict crazy way and we know that here we try to apply that it's not by good works it's it's not by avoiding certain foods or giving up baseball because you think that'll make God happy. No, we we give great effort here to teach what the Bible teaches and all that's influenced all so far from this letter. We teach that you're saved by grace and that as a Christian and as a new creation, you need to grow and discipline yourself to grow in godliness. Try to make sure that the people at our church are playing, are paying close attention to their own lives and their own souls And that they strive hard to live in line, to live in agreement with the word of God. And all that's at the end of chapter 4. A month ago, I'm pretty sure it's been that long, we we just began to get into chapter 5. And we looked at the first two verses there. But those verses were there to remind us that we have to call out sin in the lives of other Christians in our church And we try to do that here too, but we want to do it in the right way. We want to treat other believers the way we want to be treated. And if we're starting to slip into sin or if there are patterns in our lives that aren't in agreement with the word of God, they don't line up with what God's word says, then we we need someone to help us, to, to stop us, to warn us. Of course, when we do that for each other, we have to do it in the right way. It's not just about calling each other out on sin, but it's learning even here from Paul in 5, 1 and 2 to do it in a way that's helpful, to do it in a way that's fruitful. Paul gives an incredible reminder that it has to be done with great care, with gentleness, with, with love, treating others with great respect, like a mother or a father like a little brother or a little sister. And those words are meant to drive us to remember the gentleness required in confronting someone's sin. And that's a lot. And I'm not trying to overwhelm you, but just trying to help you see, I think as we kind of refresh that, how important it is to go to the right church. Go to a church that strives to follow the rules that God has given, to submit to his guidelines for the church rather than just doing whatever you want to do. Let me say it this way, junior hires. You would not want to go to this church here in Ephesus, the one that we're reading about. You would not want to be there. That church would only lead you further into chaos and further away from the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's will for your life. So those of you who are young in your faith, this morning's topic might not be super interesting to you, but I want to remind you to be grateful for the church that God has placed you in. Our text this morning is just going to be more of the same, more principles, more guidelines to follow, but ones that greatly benefit those that live in the church. It's a big section, and I'm going to just read it in two parts, and then we'll go through it quickly, pulling some application. But but in the end, I just want you to know, and our big idea is that church is always better when it follows God's guidelines. A lot of different ways you could say that, but that's what I want you to walk out of here with this morning. As we talk about widows and elders, I want you to just kind of rise above all that a little bit, putting it back into the whole context of this letter and learning that it's just better to do church God's way. It's always going to be so much better. So let's look first two specific people to consider in the church Two more guidelines to help in the life of the church. We'll look first at at widows. Caring for the right widows is going to be our first point here. And we'll start in verse 3 of chapter 5. God's word says, Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she's devoted herself to every good work but refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they've set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who's a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Okay, what what was the problem? Let's just try to to pull out some of the big stuff here. This church was not playing according to God's rules. They were assuming way too much responsibility for widows. They were caring for all the widows. Timothy needed some help as he had to untangle sort of the knot that had been done here, helping these precious women, these widows of the church to find the care that they needed and also to find the roles that they were supposed to fill. Where was their spot in this church? What is all this about here? Well, the church was really just doing its own thing. They were just kind of doing whatever they thought was right. Of course, it's good to care for widows. But Paul says, even in verse three, the widows that are widows indeed, or truly widows. Emphasis on Truly, So it seems like anyone who was a widow was receiving some kind of financial help from the church. And Paul says, hold on a second. There's a much better way. There's a way that's going to minimize the chaos here and be far more helpful for everybody. Just take care of the ones who are widows indeed. Next few verses help us put together who he's talking about. They're left all alone. The ones with no family to support. There's no help. It's more than just being a widow, more than just being one with no husband. It was about having a lack of resources. No family to help her. Those are the widows the church should use its finances to support. And there's another little qualification here as well. Verse 5 helps us understand that there should be a character of godliness to this widow as well. So there's a physical qualification and there's also a spiritual one. She's also to be a godly woman. She's to be one who's devoted to the things of God. She loves to spend her time Uh, just dedicated uh, and giving her attention to the Lord and to his word and and helping others follow his purposes. She loves to pray. That's who he's talking about here, a godly woman. And so Paul gives this kind of interesting warning here in verse 8. It's kind of harsh language, but it's meant to be so. It's meant to kind of shake up the reader, any child who can take care of their widowed mother or grandmother, they're supposed to. They should be doing that. It's not the church's responsibility first. It's actually the family's. Let the children step in. That's what Paul's saying. Even pagans took care of their parents, the godless around them in Rome. That's who Paul's talking about here. Even they knew, okay, I still need to take care of my mom and my dad in a situation like this. And so they would. Paul says, the point is, even those who cared for their parents as they ended their days, even those people without, you know, the love of God in their life, without the hope of God, they were not new creations in Christ. They were godless and sinful. They were people who were dead in their sin. And yet they knew to do this. They knew to just take care of their widowed parent. And Paul says, as believers, we cannot act worse than those without faith. So this is to be a principle that the church follows to help families see their God-given responsibility to love and to care for their parents who are widowed. Neglect, Paul makes clear, is just not going to be an option. This can't be satisfied by someone else. Emotional neglect is unacceptable. Abandonment, also not cool. This is far worse than the actions of an unbeliever to ignore your parent like this. So we take care of our families first. We take care of our own, and then the church can step in to offer care for those who are truly widows. And even in that, we start to see how much better So many more resources now available for those who truly need it. And then just kind of quickly, verses 9 to 15, people read that. It's just want to help you understand it's a topic shift. It's not about how to get on the list to be financially supported by the church. This is about a list of women who serve. It's it's a women's ministry list, but especially those who are widows. There were a list of these women who could serve in a unique capacity because they had no husband and their children were grown. These widows have nothing but time to serve in this really unique way. Extra time to visit the sick and teach younger women and help new moms figure out how to be a godly mother and to show hospitality to visitors and missionaries and help with orphans and all kinds of stuff these women have the time to do it and they're a group of women who meet a certain qualification of age Paul highlights and faithfulness and good works and his whole point is it's not a job for younger widows that's not what they're supposed to be doing it would be frustrating to those young widows to be forced into that sort of life like, oh, I lost my husband. I guess this is what I'm doing now to, to, to have to serve in that capacity. And it would be just as frustrating for those older widows who really want to serve in that way, but there's nothing to do. Those jobs are being filled by someone else. So both, both of those groups are frustrated because the church wasn't doing what God had called them to do. Paul says that young widow needs to get remarried. Let her engage with life again and have children and run a home that's what Paul's saying in verse eleven. Let these roles be reserved for older widows who've proven their faithfulness and who will bless those that they care for so it's a specific problem for Timothy and for this church, and I know that but but we can learn from it as well with the church functioning the right way. think of the testimony of what this church could look like. Families actually taking care of their own. That's going to be such a great light for the gospel and these widows who really are all alone getting blessed with resources and help from their church and also to find this purpose in the life of the body once again. For, for them to know that they have a role to play and that they're able to do that and serve in this unique way so much better than the way that they were doing it, so much better to play by God's rules for the church. Let me look at one more real quick. It just has to do with elders again, and we'll call this one treat pastors accordingly. So not only do we have to care for the right widows, but also treat pastors accordingly. Verse 17 says the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin, still talking about pastors, Rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin." No longer drink water exclusively, Paul writes, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise, also deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. Two little lessons here, just like with widows, two little things to think about first, Honor the pastors who work hard. Honor the pastors who work hard. Verse 17 helps us understand that pastors who work hard are worth or worthy of double honor. It's not double wages. That would be cool, but that's not what this is. It means a twofold honor. Okay, respect is first and financial care is second. So the church Yes, they're to pay its pastors so that they can be free to do the job, but it's also that they can be free to continue to work hard, to work hard at not just leading, but preaching and teaching. And the pastors who do this well, who lead well, who work hard to preach well, they deserve honor and respect. But let me make it clear, they are to be respected by the church, not because of the title, not because of the position, but because they are men who work hard. That Those are the pastors that are worthy of this double honor. I don't respect him because his name is pastor whatever. We respect him because they work hard to teach and preach the scriptures. Church should hold those men in high esteem, but that doesn't mean that they're untouchable. That's sort of the opposite side of the coin here and it's dealing with the pastor's sin. A second thought is discipline pastors who are in sin. Pastors who do their jobs with integrity are worthy of double honor while those who are in sin need to be called out. Okay? And of course there is some just a needed sense of care and mindfulness, you know, verses 1 and 2 are still at play here when when someone's accusing a pastor of being in sin. We need need to think carefully. Paul makes that so clear in verse 19. There needs to be a huge amount of trust for that pastor and protection for that pastor's reputation. Someone's attempting to discredit a character. First instinct should be protection. No way. I don't believe it. In fact, we don't even give that thought daylight unless there's two or three witnesses. That's how much we're to respect our pastors. But if it's true... Paul says, and if that pastor persists and refuses to turn from their sin, it needs to be told to the entire church. We, we church discipline here, and this is the same principle. Even if it's a pastor, we tell it to the church. Verse 21 helps us understand no one is above this. No one is exempt from this approach If a pastor is unfit to be a godly shepherd, if he's disqualified, the church needs to know. Why? Simply so that they know to stop following him. That's why the church needs to know, but Paul also adds, because it has a purifying effect on the church. Makes the church examine their own life, purify their life, repent from sin. Paul adds a little thought here, it just doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter. We show no partiality. We discipline pastors who are in sin. So it's a tough rule for the church. These are tough words and likely why Paul ends this section with a warning to be careful and to go slow in putting someone into a pastoral position. Be slow to lay hands on this guy. That just means we're recognizing that this man is called by God to be a pastor and an elder. And Paul says, go slow, be cautious churches to exercise great care in selecting leaders and also to be willing to call out the sins of someone who is a leader. That's why our church will spend years watching a man's life before we ordain them to that office of elder, before he becomes a pastor. They watch his life and his character. They test his biblical knowledge and his giftedness to preach and to teach. You guys go to a church that takes this very seriously. And it's awesome. And you should want to go to a church just like this. It takes time, we learn from Paul. Someone may look good. They may seem to fit the part. Check off that qualification list that we have in chapter 3. But given enough time, you'll know exactly who they are. Given enough time, their deeds will be revealed whether good or bad. So these guidelines, again, they may not mean much to you today. I probably haven't thought about widows or <laughs> elders. didn't think you woke up wondering about that. <laughs> I just want you to know that the church does have these guidelines for both. I bet one day you will care about it. One day you'll have thoughts and questions about it. But for now, I at least want you to see the big picture. Learn early in life that you should want to connect yourself to a biblical church. It's so crucial. This, It's so good to, to go to a church that operates God's way. Good to be connected to a church that says we will not only teach the Bible, but also operate according to the Bible. All our programs, all our practices, all our ministries, they must be in line with God's word, filtered through it and in line with it. So these you know, guidelines, they're not meant to be burdensome. As we started, I just want, want you to know they're here to protect us. They're here to help us. They're here to minimize the chaos as we live with each other in this thing called the church. Always best to play and operate under the guidelines that God has given. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for the leadership that began with our pastor over 50 years ago. Thank you that he was dedicated to leading this church according to your word. Father, thank you for faithfully bringing more men to lead this church with your word in mind. Thank you that here the chaos is minimized because we strive to do things your way. Father, I pray that this would be an encouragement to the young believers in the room this morning, that even now in life, that they would be grateful for their church, grateful for all that you've done in their lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.